thank you, Brother Gary, for the song tonight. And we do want to thank Gary for taking on a lot of jobs today, leading the singing, doing the choir, doing the special. And uh, he's been overloaded, but we thank the Lord that we have such capable people who can take care of things. All right, let's open our Bibles now, if you would please, to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4. The fourth chapter of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Let me ask you a question. What, what if you have a, a job to do, a very important job, a very difficult job, and as you try to do this job, like building a wall that Nehemiah was trying to do, and you have threats against you, people are ridiculing you, they're mocking you, there's open hostility everywhere that you go, There are people on the outside that oppose you. And then you also find that among your own circle of supposed friends, that there are people who are trying to do everything they can to stop you, and the only thing that they want you to do is fail. What do you do when you face a situation like that? Now, Nehemiah was going to build this wall in Jerusalem, and he had a huge task before him. He had very discouraged people to work with. He did have those enemies on the outside and those on the inside as well. And to put up this wall without any opposition at all, that would have been a very formidable task. But Nehemiah faced all of these other problems. Now, this evening's message, we're still in a section of the book of Nehemiah where we're talking about the building of the wall. But the building of the wall is not the only thing that takes place in this book. Now, we're going to find out that Nehemiah does actually uh, get the wall built through much opposition. God still prospers him. Uh, God took care of him. The wall was built. And then after that, the people entered into a period of revival when they really got right with God. They were led back to the ways of worship that they were taught before. They went back to serving God according to his law, and God blessed the nation once again. But before he got to that place, Nehemiah had to have a strategy for building the wall. And this strategy didn't involve blueprints for how to put the wall up. The strategy involved how to continue when there's so much opposition. So we're going to talk about that tonight. Whenever we try to do something for the Lord, Satan throws up every kind of conceivable obstacle in our path. And this is what he was doing with Nehemiah. So we're going to look and see what Nehemiah did to fend off this evil of the devil's attacks. I want to read just a few verses tonight to set the scene. So if you'd stand with me, please. We're going to look at chapter 4. Last week we read verses 1 through 6. And we're going to start there again uh, to get where we're going here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1. I'm sorry, Nehemiah. I'll get the right book here. Nehemiah chapter 4. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burnt? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall." Now Nehemiah begins to pray, and he says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Notice verse number 6. So built we the wall, and the wall was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. 
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word tonight. I ask you, Lord, that you might help me as I preach this message, that you would give us the things that we need to know, and you might strengthen us in what we learn from your word this evening. So just bless our people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I read these first six verses of the chapter uh, once again, as we did last week, because I wanted to just remind you of how the devil comes to us. And so many times he asks questions that are intended to uh, discourage us and get us to thinking that there's no possible way that we can do what God wants us to do. Last week we talked about the devil's FAQs, the frequently asked questions. And every time Satan comes to you with a question, he does it to undermine your character, uh, your determination. He attacks your faith. He attacks your willingness to follow the Lord. Now, in this particular section where we begin in verse 7 tonight, the enemy is now ready for the next stage. What they realize is that their attacks in, in ridiculing and mocking and trying to discourage the people in that way just simply did not work. They continued to build the wall, and the wall was going up. And here we find that now they have completed half of the wall, and the mocking, the ridicule simply hasn't succeeded. And so now these people say, the opposers say, let's get physical over this thing. Not just talk to anymore. Let's not just ridicule anymore. Let's get physical. You might remember when you were a kid, you may have said something like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And as soon as you got finished saying that, your opponents figured, well, sticks and stones aren't working, or or words rather, so we're going to pick up the sticks and stones and we're going to start throwing them. And this is where Nehemiah finds himself. The enemy is tired of ridicule, tired of talking, and now they're ready to do something. Would you look at verse number 7? It says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Now, first I want you to notice who these people are that oppose Nehemiah because these are the very same old enemies that Israel faced when they first came into the land of Canaan. And actually, these people that we're reading about are the ancestors of people who still today oppose the Jews in Israel. Now, the outline that I gave you tonight is very brief. I have just four points, and I've given you plenty of room to take your own notes. And we're going to look tonight and get some insight into the methods and the strategy that we have to use to fight the enemy. So Nehemiah had a four-point strategy. And number one, strategy number one, is to stand guard. Now, verse number nine says they prayed, and then it says they set a watch against them day and night. Now, I want you to remember, if you can, uh, if you still remember the second message that I preached from Nehemiah, when I talked about the issue of prayer. Nehemiah knew that he needed to pray, but he also knew that he needed to put feet on his prayers. I mean, he most certainly expected that God would bless him, but Nehemiah became proactive when he began to pray. He didn't just sit down, but he began to plan and began to put together something that, helped, that would help him to accomplish his task. And so Nehemiah didn't just pray and then sit down and say, well, I've done my duty. I've done all that there is to do. I've prayed and now I'm leaving it up to God and God can do the rest. Nehemiah prayed, but the Bible says that he also set a watch. Now, I want to remind you that God 
will never answer our prayers if we're not faithful to do what we're supposed to do on our end. You never say something to the Lord like, Lord, would you please save my child? Or Lord, would you please save my family or work with my friends and then not go and give them the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, it is your responsibility to pray for them, but it's also your responsibility to go to them and give them the word that God would have you to give. Now, perhaps uh, you may have made some kind of an attempt, and you may pray to ask God to save a loved one, and you do make an attempt, but you can't stop there either. Because the next thing that you have to do, you have to live with the right kind of testimony. You've got to be an example before that person. They've got to see something different in you. And if they don't, they're never going to want the salvation that you have. So you've got to be concerned about that. Am I an example to those that I want to win to the Lord? Now, the first items that are necessary to defeat the enemy are prayer and watchfulness. Stand guard. Be spiritually alert. And if you ever come to a time when you think in your Christian life that that Satan has learned not to bother you, he hasn't been successful in other attacks, and so now you can stand back and say, well, I'm accomplishing what I need to do, and Satan is no longer going to bother me, that's when you're fooling yourself. And there are many Christians who put up half of the wall and they stand back and they look at their success and they think, well, I'm doing exactly what needs to be done and so I don't need to worry anymore. Well, when you come to that point, you just understand this, that any respite that you get from the devil, he's just getting a second wind. He's gearing up for another attack. There's new methods of attack. Now, when when you're facing temptation and you think you've made it, That's when you're ripe for Satan to plant those seeds of discouragement and those seeds of doubt in your mind once again. Now, I want you to think back for just a moment, if you would, uh, to the book of Ephesians when we were studying... Well, really rather the book of Acts, because when we were studying in Acts, we talked about this. But also in the book of Ephesians, uh, when Paul was preaching to the people there, we know that Paul laid just some incredible groundwork. He did some great work among the people at Ephesus... The reason we know that is because when we read the book of Ephesians, Paul presents some very difficult doctrines, some things that are hard to understand, and he expected that these Ephesian people would know what he was talking about. And so he laid some good groundwork while he was there with the Ephesian people. But in Acts chapter 20, Paul gave them a warning when he left. Now, he'd already given them the word. He had already strengthened them in the faith, but he gave them a warning. And in the 20th chapter, he says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. And we notice in those verses that Paul told these people, you must stand guard. He said, you've got to keep the watch. You can't let down because you can be sure of this, that if God doesn't sleep, then neither does the devil. God is right there behind. He's trying to follow up everything that God does and trying to discourage you you from your work. Jesus also gave his disciples a warning about watching and praying. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he told them in Matthew, Watch and pray that ye enter enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. None less than the very apostles of Jesus Christ 
also needed to stand guard. But you know what happened to the disciples? What they did? They ignored Jesus' advice. And before this particular night was over, you remember we've talked about it, Peter denied the Lord three times. Every one of the disciples forsook Jesus and fled. When they took him in the garden and arrested him, brought him before the Sanhedrin, there was not one single disciple who stood there with Jesus to defend him. And so Jesus said to them, you've got to watch and you have to pray. Now, if the very people, the very men who walked with the Lord Jesus Christ, who listened to him as he spoke and saw the miracles that he did, if those men had to watch and pray, how in the world do you think that you'll survive without it? Certainly, we have to stand guard. We've got to watch and pray. Well, Nehemiah knew enough that this has to be strategy number one. I've got to stand guard against the devil. Now, strategy number two is strong commitment. Now, if Nehemiah was anything, he was an intelligent person. He was very perceptive. He knew which buttons to push in order to get the people to do the work that he wanted them to do. When, when George Washington commanded the, the troops at Valley Forge, it said that Washington knew exactly how to motivate his troops. And the key to his success was to get those tired, hungry, freezing, unpaid soldiers to stop thinking about themselves and to begin to think about the cause that they were fighting for. Now, the cause, of course, is freedom. And what Washington tried to get them to do was to concentrate on how this would affect their families in the future, how this would affect the the future of the entire nation. And did you know that Nehemiah used exactly the same strategy? Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, Therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places. I even set the people after their families and their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. Listen, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Now we notice there that Nehemiah did not say, fight for yourself. He said, fight for your brethren, for your sons, your daughters, fight for your wives. In other words, he's saying to them, you need to fight for your family. Now, do you think that there was ever a martyr who gave up his life for himself? I mean, simply for himself? When, when Nathan Hale was taken and, and, and they hung Nathan Hale, he said, I, have but, I regret that I have but one life to lose for what? For my country. It wasn't for himself. And every martyr that ever died for Jesus Christ was not dying for himself. He was dying for the cause that Jesus gave him to preach. And folks, if there is no other reason for you to stand up for something, if you can't find any other reason, here's one. Do it for your family. Think about how this affects your family. I mean, you don't want your family to fall prey to the vices of the devil. Now, you know, I'm saddened for, for many Christian parents... And maybe I, maybe I should say I, I'm saddened for Christian children when, when their parents don't see any value at all in church attendance. I mean, they don't see any value in bringing their children to something like the, like the Pioneer Club, not, not where they can hear the Word of God being taught. And I'm saddened that there are parents who have decided that they're going to surrender their children to the world without even putting up a fight. Just let them have them. And so by their example and things they do, they say, we don't need church. We don't need to follow the Lord. That's not really important in our lives. And so many parents are are selfish, and many times their excuses are pathetic. 
And you know, and you know what many parents do, and this is very, very sad. Sometimes parents use their children as their excuse. Oh, they're sick, is what the parents say. And really, the child just has a sniffle. Or they're tired. Um, they didn't get their nap out, so we can't come to church. We've got to get, they've got to get their rest. And what the parent actually means is, I'm tired. I stayed up all Saturday night doing things I shouldn't be doing, so I'm tired, so I can't go to church. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You know, I, had a, I have a suspicion that David anxiously awaited the times that he could come and worship God. And that's what we need among Christian people. Do we prepare ourselves for the worship of the Lord? Is worship our afterthought? Or is worship what we think of first? Is it our forethought? We need some people who have some strong commitment. If you're going to defeat the devil, there has to be strong commitment. There, there can't be secret discipleship here. This is publicly standing up for God. And, the, and this is Nehemiah saying, think of your families. Think of what you're doing here. See how it's going to affect them. Everything that you do affects your family. And every church member, every Christian needs to think about it. How does what I do affect my kids? How does it affect my children? And one thing that you need to know as a parent, that children are not instigators. Children are imitators. They're going to do exactly what you do. And so it's best to set the good example before them. Now, Nehemiah has a third strategy. Strategy number three is to secure arms. Now, the threat is very real. The enemy is a real enemy. And, and just hoping that the enemy won't come and attack, I mean, that, that's, that's just not going to work. So the next thing that Nehemiah does, he takes up arms. And his plan is that he will arm half of the people while the other people, half of the people, are working. So there are half who are watching, half who are working. Now look at verse number 16. And it came to pass that from that time forth, that half the servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, the bows, and the habergens, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. But then we notice here in verse number 17 that Nehemiah expands upon this plan. Verse 17 tells us that even the laborers are armed. They which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, everyone with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so builded. And they that sounded the trumpet, and he that sounded the trumpet was by me. Now I want you to notice the difference in how those in verse number 16 are armed, and those in verse number 17 and 18 are armed. Verse 16 says, Spears, shields, bows, and habergens. Habergens means coats of mail. In other words, this is like a body armor. Now, how difficult would it be for somebody to work on the wall while they're wearing a body armor? And so the, the, the normal laborers, they don't wear a coat of mail while they're working on the wall. The people who did that are the leaders of the people, the rulers of the people. They're watching over them, and they're very heavily armed so they can protect the workers. Now, what I want to suggest to you tonight is that that can represent what the leadership of our church does. Now, the pastor obviously cannot do every work that has to be done in the church. But you know the beauty of the way that God has organized the church? He compares it to a body. And as a body, there are certain parts of the body that are gifted to do works that other people can't do. They have specific areas in which they can work. And so they have special talents for certain types of work. But the pastor himself, of course, has to be a person who's armed from head to toe and ready to defend the flock. 
The word pastor actually means a shepherd. And what's the main job of a shepherd? To watch over and defend his sheep. And so when I get up to you and, or get up before you and I preach God's word and I try to lead you into some of the very difficult doctrines that we have to go through at times, the reason that I'm doing that is because I'm defending the sheep. Now, I pound and I pound over and over again what we believe as opposed to what false teachers believe. And the purpose of doing that is to defend the sheep. You need to understand and know those things. Now, back in Acts chapter 20, when Paul was talking to the Ephesian elders, just before he talked about the grievous wolves that would come in and not spare the flock, he gave some instructions to the pastors of the churches. He said, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. The word overseers in that verse is the same word as bishop. It means officer in charge. And the overseer, the pastor, has a responsibility of feeding the flock. So what I try to do is I try to give you a healthy diet of all the Word of God. And I have a responsibility to teach the entire, the whole counsel of God's Word. And sometimes people don't like it. Lots of times people don't like strong doctrine. But let me promise you, it's good for you. You know, when your mom said, eat your vegetables, they're good for you. Sometimes the difficult doctrines, or all the time I should say, the difficult doctrines are good for you. Now, many, many pastors would prefer to feed the people sweets all of the time. And uh, they like to give them a diet of, of uh, the old diet of milk and, and feel-good stories. So that when you leave here, you know, oh, you know, I, I got a little rub down. That, that felt kind of good, you know, to get that. I'm not interested in that. Whenever somebody goes out of the service and they say that I learned something today, or what you said blessed me, what you said makes sense to me, what you said strengthened me, it built, built me up, then I know that I'm doing my job. And if that ever stops, then I'm not teaching the people correctly. But I want you to notice something else as I say that, that verses 17 and 18 say that the people also were armed. In one hand, there was a trowel, and in the other hand, there was a sword. Now, those of you who are familiar with the great English Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon from the last century, you, you may be familiar that he had his sermons printed in little booklets. And they distributed these all over. And the little booklet, or the title of it, was The Sword and the Trowel. And he actually took that from this 17th verse of, of Nehemiah chapter 4. Now, what this all is teaching us and telling us is that the pastor is not the only one who's to be armed. In other words, the pastor is not the only one who's supposed to know the Word of God. Now, certainly the pastor is to be the chief in the exposition and teaching of the Scriptures, but he's not the only one that's supposed to know what God's Word says. Every Christian needs to be a student of the Word. And do you know why? Because you see me at church three times a week, and I may be able to help you here. I can defend you against some things here. But when you go to work, when you go again to, uh, out to do your daily activities, you're by yourself. You have to learn to defend yourself. You need, you need to learn to stand up for God's Word. And so it's important for you to know God's Word for yourself. Now, I have mentioned many, many different times that, that while we preach God's Word, there can be people in the congregation who are at very various stages of their, of their learning in their Christian life. And a person who has just become a Christian doesn't know as much as somebody... That, that's been a Christian for a long time. I mean, if you've been a Christian for a while, there's some things that you ought to know about the Word of God. You ought to know more than a baby Christian knows. 
But there's a warning here, and, and we're going to see this in just a moment. An example that's given is that the, the, the people who are babies in the Word, somebody who's just become a Christian, you have got to very carefully watch yourself and not put yourself into places of temptation. Now, of course, there isn't any Christian, I think, who ought to be in a place of temptation. But especially if you're a younger Christian, you've got to watch out. You've got to guard yourself uh, because there's, there's, the devil is ready to attack and you may not know how to defend, defend yourself. Now, let's notice what, what Nehemiah did. We back up to verse number 13. Nehemiah said, Therefore, set I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Now, there we see Nehemiah has all the bases covered. He has everybody into a defensive mode. But one thing that I doubt, I mean, Nehemiah being the kind of leader that he was, I doubt very seriously if Nehemiah put the weak people into the high places. The high places are areas of greater vulnerability. The high places are more visible. And so the people that are standing there are much more vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. And this is the way it is in a church. The reason that we choose deacons and and, and people who have proved themselves in the Word of God, the reason that you choose a pastor who knows the Word of God is because those people are put into higher positions and they're more visible and more vulnerable to Satan's attacks. And so we need strong people that we put into those positions. But no matter where you are, it doesn't make any difference if you've been saved a week or you've been saved for 15 years. You have to be somebody who gets all the weapons, secure the arms for your protection. I want to go back to a passage of Scripture I know all of you are familiar with. We've read it many, many times before. All of you should know it in Ephesians chapter 6. If you turn your Bible there for just a minute, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul talks about weapons of warfare and what we need to put on and what we need to gather to ourselves in order to fight against the devil. In Ephesians chapter 6, we begin with verse number 10. And Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand." Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now what you have there is the whole gamut of protection. From head to toe, Paul says, to secure the arms. But I want you to notice particularly the phrase that begins verse number 11. Verse number 11 says, put on the whole armor of God. Do you know there are many Christians who think that they really don't need the whole armor of God. They just need to put on some of the armor of God. The whole armor of God, that's too burdensome. It's too restrictive. The whole armor of God just doesn't quite fit my lifestyle. And so I won't put on the whole armor. I just need to put on some of the armor. I don't need to go to church every Sunday. Some Sundays are all right. And there are many Christians who pared that down to, 
going to church on Easter and Christmas, maybe Mother's Day and, and around Thanksgiving, and that's about all that you ever see them at church. You know, I think all Sundays is better than some Sundays. And I think it's better for us to be in our own church when our church is meeting rather than to be in somebody else's church. And then we also ought to be reminded that Sunday is the Lord's Day and Sunday is not recreation time. Sunday is the time to worship God. This is God's time. And there's some people who think, well, reading the Bible, that's too much of the armor to put on. So I don't need to read the Bible. I'll just read a little bit here and there if I read it all. And some people think, well, pray to pray unceasingly. That's what Paul said to do, pray without ceasing. Well, that's too much. That's too much armor. I can't do that. That's, that's, that's dressing way overkill. That's too much to pray without ceasing. Dressing like a Christian? Oh, I can't do that. Not, I can't dress like a Christian all of the time because that would be embarrassing to me. Now, here's what I would tell you. If where you go causes you embarrassment by the way that you dress as a Christian, then either do one of two things, endure the embarrassment, or don't go where you'll be embarrassed as a Christian. If you want victory over sin and you want victory over the devil, part of the armor won't do. You have to put on the whole armor of God. Now here in our story, every person is armed. They're fortified from head to toe. The top of the wall to the bottom wall, it's all one fortified, one fortified body. So they all stood guard. They're all watching. All have secured arms. And then you know what happened? When the enemy saw that fortification, the attack never materialized. Now, as I said a moment ago, it would do no good to think that the enemy is not going to attack and we just won't put on the armor because he's not coming. Oh, yes, the enemy is coming. But when he sees that you have the armor on, he may not attack. Now, this is what happened with these people. The, the talk was all there. They talked big. They act like they're going to attack, but this attack never materialized. Preparation. Preparation is what kept them out of harm's way. Now, let me give you the fourth strategy for this evening. Nehemiah's strategy number four was sufficient grace. And sufficient grace is really nothing that we do at all. But sufficient grace is what we need. That's what we depend on. Look at verse number 20. It says, In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither to us. And listen to that last phrase. Our God shall fight for us. Now, if there was an attack on any part of the wall, those that were watching would blow a trumpet. Nehemiah said in verse number 19 that the wall is big. He says there's a lot of work to be done. We're all working hard. Our attention is focused on building the wall. We're separated from one another by great distances because this is a long wall. And so if anybody is attacked, if any part of the wall is attacked, blow the trumpet and all of us will come. But look what he said in the end of verse 20 again. Our God shall fight for us. In other words, their dependence was not on the sword. It wasn't on the shields. It wasn't on spears. Their dependence wasn't on any weapon, but their dependence was on God. So you see, the defensive instruments, these aren't the end all of our protection. Nehemiah knew God will be our protection. God will fight for us. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now I want to give you quickly two sub-points for this one. The first one is the power of God. God's power is always sufficient. 
You see, the way to move forward when you're building a wall is not to concentrate on the enemy that opposes you. That's not where the concentration should be. The concentration needs to be on the God of the wall. Keep your mind on the God of the wall. Now, the one who, who, who works in you, the one who guides you, the one who supplies the power, he's the one who enables the success. Paul says in Ephesians, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Now, building the wall, I mean, that was, that was way beyond anything that they could do in their, in their own strength. They, they can't build this wall. And then to think about the enemy out there, I mean, the enemy on the outside was a much larger force than even the people who were on the inside trying to build the wall. They were an overwhelming force. You go back there to verse number 7, and you find out there are three nations that had gathered against Israel who opposed the building. But what do we learn before in another part of the Old Testament? God tells us that always, this is the way that it is, that those that are with us are more than those who oppose us. We have an army of angels that are watching over us. Now, Berean Baptist Church is, is very small compared to the thousands of people who drive up and down these roads every day. There are lots of people in our neighborhood that are opposed to a church being here. But because there's so many of them and so few of us, does that mean that we give up? No. We just keep on preaching the Word of God. They've never had any success in defeating our church, have they? And you know why? Because our God will fight for us. God defends us. So if we keep the armor on, here's the thing, we may never actually have to use it. Just keep the armor on and God will fight for you. Now, secondly, not only the power of God, but also the presence of God. Because God says, as I preached in the message this morning, I will never leave you or forsake you. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 40, verse 10, Behold, the Lord will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. In chapter 41 of Isaiah, Isaiah writes, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Do you recognize that? You ever sing the song? I know you have. How firm a foundation. One of the, one of the verses of that song comes from that, comes from that verse there. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed. For I am thy God, I will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. And then best of all, Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 43, But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. My question for you tonight is, how can you go wrong when God is on your side? How can you possibly fail in building a wall when God's on your side? It doesn't matter what the opposition is. So what do we do when we face unbeatable foes? We do what Nehemiah did. We stand strong in the security of the, the Savior's sufficient grace. Stand strong in the security of the Savior's sufficient grace. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, Paul said, And he said unto me, 
My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And Paul is simply saying there, I am weak, but thou art strong. And this is the strategy for defeating the devil. Do the things that Nehemiah did here. God is on our side, and God will fight for us. And all we need to do is trust him, and he'll take care of us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We just praise you, Lord, for being with us, watching over us, standing beside us, fighting for us. And, Lord, how we need that. And may we learn, Lord, how to employ the weapons of warfare and be ready for the fight. And, Lord, we know that you'll be right there to help us. Would you bless our people, bless our church? We just thank you for the way that you've stood by this church for so many years and all the opposition that we face, and yet we know we have a great God who will never let us fail. So bless your people tonight, Lord, as we sing this invitation hymn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.